Everybody, this is Tim Show with the Liberty Advisor, joined with John Snice and the Economic Truth. And of course, we've got Arthur Diamond Hands helping us out on the ones and twos and get, dropping some knowledge. Today is probably one of the most important shows we've ever done because we are talking about the Digital Dollar Project, the Digital Dollar Foundation, and something that really came across my radar about a week ago. Didn't even know that this was in existence, but they, but we're going to tell you all about it. Towards the end of the show, we're going to get into the actual white paper that they put out in May, 2020. We also found some different ties to and verbiage that they use in there, uh, you know, basically relating to Klaus Schwab's book that was written in June, 2020. This thing came out in May, 2020. Some of the first speeches were given <clears throat> January, 2020. And, uh, you know, it's just great, incredible information. But anyways, hope you guys enjoy. This is very, very important information. A lot of talk about central bank digital currencies. I'll talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And then, you know, a few other stories here and there. Anyways, hope you guys enjoy this upcoming episode. So I don't know, I'm sure you guys have seen this, but the other day I was, you know, glancing through articles like I always do. And I came across the Digital Dollar Foundation and Accenture to launch digital dollar pilots. And I'm like, wait a minute, the Digital Dollar Foundation? Like, like what the hell is the Digital Dollar Foundation? So it took me on all these different rabbit holes of all these different things that were going on. And next thing I know, you know, I, you know, here's an article is, from uh, Fed Chair Powell says digital dollar is a high priority. So you know anyone that's been paying attention to this show for any length of time knows that the digital dollar is on its way. The central bank digital currency, as they like to call it, uh, central bank digital slave grid is you know something that I would probably call it. So then you know I started looking into it and I see some more uh, literature on this and it's and again it's Accenture to provide funding for five digital dollar projects and it goes on to say. Today, the digital project announced its intention to launch five central bank digital currency pilot programs within the next 12 months. The project is a private initiative launched in January 2020 by former chair of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, CFTC, J. Christopher Giancarlo. Oh, no, it's a, it's a guinea doing it. So I guess it's okay. Uh, the Digital Dollar Foundation and Accenture. And so it's also, they, they announced this January 2020. What also happens in January every year, January 2020? He announced this at, do, do you want you guys want to take a guess where he announced this at? Where this, where this speech was initially given? It doesn't say in this article, but I know from other articles where the speech was given. Any, any guesses? Jackson Hole supposed to? No, we're, we're talking January. Jackson Hole is usually what, July? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, well, get, your, get your mind out of the gutter. Davos. Yes. The World Economic Forum in Davos is where these motherfuckers <laughs> gave their, uh, you know, gave their announcement for all this stuff. So uh, the project aims to conduct research and engage with the public about a potential central bank digital currency. And before we go on, you guys can get all these different articles from the show notes. Go to timandjohnshow.com. Make sure you sign up for the email list. That way, you know, once we're banned from everywhere, you guys can find us over there. But anyways, as we're getting back to the article, on more than one occasion, U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has stated that the U.S. doesn't need to be the first to launch a digital, cur digital currency. In today's statement, Christopher Giancarlo concurred, the U.S. doesn't need to be the first central bank digital currency, but it does need to be a leader in setting standards for digital future of money. Since the digital project launched, the Federal Reserve tapped the Massachusetts Institute of Technology to work with the Boston Fed on a multi-year hypothetical, oh, hypothetical CBDC, the central the digital dollar project made it clear that it intends to complement this work. It goes on to say, you know, basically, you know, what's in it for Accenture and says that, uh, you know, it may help Accenture's ESG. That's what does it say? Where's the, Arthur, you guys know what ESG Economic Sustainable Development Goals. 
Okay. Economic, yeah. I know it's like the sustainability, you know, all the funds yes. and, you know, sort of like causes or of everything that's going on now, if it can demonstrate strong pilots, yeah, for the strong pilots for the unbanked and the underbanked next Accenture gets to position itself for CBDC related private sector work and possible future rounds of public work. And finally, it gets to demonstrate its preferred technology choice more deeply and the launch of a CBDC sooner rather than later is an Accenture Accenture's interest, and again, Accenture is A-C-C-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, major company uh, in America. I think they have like, you know, half a million employees, or sorry, half a, mm -hmm. yeah, they have like 500,000 employees, major, major company. The landscape to implement CBDC projects is not just a matter of winning work from central banks. Any CBDC is very likely to be a two-tiered, which means all the financial institutions would need to integrate with the CBDC. This is where the real potential for landing consulting project lies for Accenture for every CBDC in any one country, there will be numerous private sector projects. If the chosen CBDC solution is token-based, that also gives Accenture a foot in the door for consulting on the blockchain projects that might integrate with the CBDC. And the, cent and the digital dollar project has expressed a token-based solution as its preference. And then they, you know, they use the word, of, you know, Accenture is excited to collaborate with the entire stakeholder community. I mean, everything we see nowadays is they're always using like this terminology for stakeholderness and inclusiveness. And, uh, and so here we go, are going on to the digital dollar project.org. And I love how people will be like, oh, you know, conspiracy theorists, they're going to make a digital dollar. And what are they going to do next? Are they going to tie it to some vaccine passport? Like, are you fucking Alex Jones or something? So, you know, people always no, think that's what that, tokenized money is <laughs> exactly and so uh you know as i was going through and researching this and you know this is you know straight from the digital dollar project.org and it says the digital dollar project is a partnership blah 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 blah. and ba yeah, basically stuff we had already talked about and programs with interested stakeholders to measure the value of an established practical steps that we can take in to establish a digital dollar and then, you know, there's, you know, a bunch of different things you can, I mean, it's not like, actually not like a ton you can see on here, but, you know, it's got some different publications and you can read about what some of their goals are, yeah. see what some of their different project directors are. And of course, uh, you know, as this Adrian Harris and she comes from the Ford school, uh, Charles Giancarlo, and I'm sure this is probably his brother, Chris Giancarlo and this Daniel Gorfin that looks like some fucking gerbil or something take a look at his weird ass eyes and this not to you know what i don't like like to give personal insults but when you're trying to enslave my family you're gonna get every fucking insult in the book so yeah you look like some fucking gerbil or whatever uh this guy and the other thing is Scumbag, uh, it looks like yeah and then you got this david tree oh yeah so what what a, uh, thank you for that for that treat you've given us but i will say that yesterday i was actually doing some research on this while i was at the park with my kids and i and I saw that they've actually changed some of their website, or I don't know if I was on some other rabbit hole of trying to see different people that were linked to this, but I saw that there was someone named Kim. So I'm like, oh, of course, they've got to have a woman running it because, you know, that's, but it was actually a guy named Kim. Uh, and it actually, it wasn't even an Asian guy. And then I can't find that today now. And then I saw that the number two person was some lady that was like one of the top people at Gavi. That's a G-A-V-I. And uh, Gavi, for those of you who don't know, and I'm trying to find this right now but okay so here we go on screen so gavi is uh you know there is part of a mission to save lives reduce poverty and protect the world against the threat of epidemics gavi has helped it's to vaccinate people globally like it's a gravity oh that's the very next lobby. sentence 
Gavi has helped vaccinate more than 822 million children in the world's poorest countries, preventing more than 14 million future deaths. And of course, they've got this, you know, adorable little black girl with, you know, kind of like tears in her eyes, uh, you know, humanize it and show the emotion. And then they've got, you know, some other, you know, black child behind it. It looks like they're, you know, severely malnourished to, you know, bring out the, uh, you know, personalization of this and get, you know, the dramatic heartbeat. So, uh, so then I was like, wait a minute. So you've got, so today I couldn't find any, like I couldn't find the same thing I saw yesterday on the website. So then I was going to DuckDuckGo and I was typing in digital dollar project and Gavi. And then I go on and see what I find on freaking DuckDuckGo. And this was like 15 minutes ago, which is why I was a little bit late filming this. Cause I, all of a sudden, like I started getting down this rabbit hole and all of a sudden I see Gavi selects Accenture to support finance operations for the vaccine alliances, COVAX <laughs> facility. So fucking Accenture is also got their hands in this as well. And it says with our colleagues at Accenture, we will expand our capacity to allow COVAX participants and partners to plan and manage with greater efficiency and accountability, supporting our goal of global equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines. We are honored to bring our finance expertise and operational services in support of Gavi's mission of enslaving. Well, I guess Gavi's bringing their financial efforts in there. Yeah, to delivering efficient and equitable access to vaccines. Oh, so thank you, Gavi, for you know everything you're doing to make the world you know such a better place. But I mean, you've got now yeah, one of the well, top actually, people at Gavi yeah. is one of the top people ushering this in as well. But actually, but I can't find that information. So if you guys can, you know, through you know crowdsourcing, people listening to this or finding this information out, if you can send us, you know, some tips, uh, you know, where you can find this because I saw it yesterday. Today I can't find it. But then, oh, what a big fucking surprise that Gavi and Accenture are both, you know, also linked at the hip. Sorry, John, what were you saying? Well, actually, talking about equitable access to uh, to vaccines, it was actually Canada is pulling on Covax, which is supposed to be for third countries. <laughs> well, you guys kind of are a poor country. If you take a look at your debt, if you take a look at your debt. Uh, or the, you know, I mean, you guys are a pretty poor country. If you take a look at, you know, the central bank debt, which is, you know, the citizens, you know, technically kind of owe that debt. And, and your guys' central bank is, you know, basically crazier than oh. almost anybody. We, which is... we invented the hockey stick in Canada. <laughs> right. So. And it's crazy that hockey actually wasn't even your guys' uh, official national sport until like actually like a few years ago, which, you know, if somebody wants to fact check me on that. It was actually lacrosse was the national sport of Canada up until recently. And now they have two national sports. So I'm from the biggest hotbed lacrosse area in the world. So, I mean, that's how I know that little, little tidbit. But, uh, you know, so if someone's on Jeopardy someday and they win some nice uh, central bank digital currency, if you want to swing any of that my way, if that's ever like a question, uh, you know, I won't, I, won't, I won't turn down the central bank digital currency. So that way I can go and buy more Bitcoin or Monero or, or something else, but not investment advice. So if you want to go. Because and you can't. You can't at that time to be a slave. You need to be on the outside of the grid. Yeah, you know what? That actually does. Uh, that actually does kind of bring me up to another article that I saw where. Uh, yeah, this is Tim. Tim, before we go into that, can I explain like just the different models that they're talking about just a little quickly so people can kind of yep. get a feel and grasp of what the central bank, bank digital currency is? Well, economists do it with models, so by uh, by all means. Yeah, not that I like to call myself an economist. I don't have the education, so technically I'm not, right? Well, at our school, at our school, <laughs> yeah. all the economics majors had the shirts that said economists do it with models, so that's that's where I got that from. I didn't make it up, but okay. <laughs> you won't Anyways, be hindered by so, their indoctrination. And our and my class on the Fed, our class saying was in Fed we trust. So talk about the indoctrination. 
but at the time didn't really mean anything to me but now i'm like holy crap okay yeah mine is in in the fed i don't trust that's my motto how about that <laughs> ignore the fed yeah ignore the fed yeah just just ignore it no anyways let's get back to some serious stuff here uh, uh if you could pull up the cayman compass article Tim, that kind of explains because it goes into that the Caribbean Union uh, implemented a central bank digital currency. And so this is uh, just pictures from uh, the Bank of International Settlements. It kind of goes very easy. It is just so like it's actually a pretty easy structure to see. But the problem here, uh, it looks like it's kind of cool what they're doing. But uh, I'll tell you why central bank digital currencies are garbage uh, right after I told you how the, how they plan to kind of work them. So there's two, two proposed central bank uh, digital systems. There's actually three, uh, uh, but two that are like the, the same, uh, which is the indirect and the hover model. But the direct model that they've been talking about, and the Fed has been talking about that, Tim, is a, a direct uh, bank account at the, Fed, at the central bank. So uh, Tim, John... Zach, we will, uh, Arthur, we will all have our bank accounts at the at the central bank level. So we will actually have our reserves with the central bank the way the banks used to do it, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, it will take away all the banks, uh, the need for all banks. Uh, that's a type of central bank digital currency. So it's basically a peer-to-peer -peer transaction uh, between us and the central bank and back to uh, whatever person we're dealing with or, or a business. That's what's proposed. So that's the direct model. Then you have the indirect model, and that's what the digital dollar group, Tim, that's a law before the indirect model because they need to be the third party, uh, the banks, or else they're done. You know, if, if they implement, you know, even a tokenized model here and not just the digital uh, cash, uh, they will actually be just removed out of the equation, the banks, if you have the direct model, right? So this digital dollar project is a lobby group for the banks and for you know the corporations that are in the financial industry to keep their stronghold uh, on the currency because if they implement that direct model, well, it's game over for most of them, uh, especially the banks. They will be uh, you know gone. So what they want to do, they would just want to have like the banks the same kind of way that we have it today, where they have we have our deposits with these central CBDC type of banks so, uh, they'd probably be still called jp morgan goldman sachs and all that stuff right uh nothing would really change or maybe they would have to change their names to try to make it look like it's actually we could trust them right uh it could be very likely actually you mispronounce uh you mispronounce them. goldman sachs goldman sucks yeah exactly or government uh, sucks and, yeah. and, JP, uh, and of course jp morgan you know just a tidbit before i go on here uh, JP Morgan was the uh, guys behind the Super League in Europe, the new proposed like franchise model Super League in soccer in Europe, and people were furious. It was uh, people, you know, actually it was so much uh, curiosity with uh, the supporters that they had to shut it down right away. <laughs> Even the thoughts of it. So it was pretty hilarious, but that was JP Morgan funding that league, by the way, uh, which actually the guy that uh, is the finance dir uh, director of uh, Manchester United, he used to work for uh, Goldman Sachs. So interesting tidbit there. Uh, and then, of course, they have a third model, which is the hybrid model, uh, which is just uh, computers, nodes, uh, which actually the lightning network on Bitcoin is exactly what uh, what this model is. Uh, which is a, a second layer, a third party on top that you can do fast transaction 
meanwhile, the slower settlement layer of Bitcoin would run underneath. And then like as they, you know, take all those transactions and push it down to the blockchain and then send it, that's the slow part. But then the lightning network is the really fast part. So it's like a second layer on top of the blockchain kind of thing. So that's the two uh, different models that they're looking at. And, and who knows, like the node model, I, I don't know, like it shows computers here. So I don't know, like, are they going to allow anybody to set up a node with the central bank, Tim? <laughs> are we going to have a central bank node? <laughs> well, we already know the answer to that is no. And yeah. I know that no, Jerome exactly. Powell, like a year ago, came out and said that they were when they were looking at central bank digital currencies yeah. and that, you know, it's not going to be open source. And obviously, and it's not going to be, you know, distributed. And, you know, it's not going to basically you're not going to be able to, you know, well, we're not going to be able to see where the transactions are going. But of course, they will be able to see oh, that. And I'm not sure if you saw this article because it's another one that I saw like right before we decided to uh, do this show, but it's policies, progress, cryptos can coexist. And then it, and the article goes on to say, Fed Chair Powell said that while the economic recovery is making real progress, the gains have been uneven. Bloomberg e economics reflects on the importance of jobs in any Fed tapered currencies like Bitcoin and Ether will coexist in quotes for a while so what does that mean uh, oh, it's gonna, oh oh you're gonna shut it down jerome powell do you like know what the fuck you're talking about and and guess what yeah, yeah if they go to shut it down they make it illegal uh yeah it's what? probably gonna be very bad for the price in the interim but look what in turkey i mean the searches went up 566 percent in like one week when they made it illegal and so it might be bad for a little bit but it's probably gonna make the what? the the value just skyrocket in the long term yeah, and Turkey has had that for a long time. Like they've been actually the, had the most accounts uh, when it comes to Bitcoin wallets and 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 so on. It's been used when Josh actually was down in in on the, in Istanbul at the bazaar there, the Grand Bazaar. Uh, there were Bitcoin places ever. You could use Bitcoin everywhere there. Uh, so the Turkish has used it for a long time to avoid taxes and so on uh, with the tax authorities. That's what they majorly have used it for because actually the Turks are the biggest tax avoiding country with the world uh so it's very interesting interesting approach but then uh, i just want to mention one last thing that i was going to say you know i was going to blow these stupid models that uh, they're proposing with cbdc's uh into the air there's no fixed uh, supply of currency here that we're talking about so uh they they could still create uh unlimited amounts of of currency like a type of ripple uh type of uh setup here so well, no, there is like a defined garbage. ripple. It's it's more like almost like Dogecoin uh, or Dogecoin. There's yeah, Doge, there's, yeah, that's and idea. and I do yeah, I do have an article too on Dogecoin where the Dogecoin. This is by Mike Novogratz, who you know, big time, uh, you know, crypto guy. Also, uh, I think was one was he at Citadel or or uh, one of the, I, can you remember off the top of your head which uh, which one he was at for a while and left them or uh, I, f I forgot the one, but yeah, one of a major major or Fortress or something like that. But anyway, Dogecoin rally is a middle uh -huh. finger. The Dogecoin no, rally I'll, I'll is a middle finger to the financial system, says Crystal Bull Mike Novogratz, and then goes on to say, uh, you know, Dogecoin remains up nearly 13,000% year to date. So I guess it's behind uh, Come Rocket yeah, that's up like 14,000% this month. But yeah. Dogecoin remains is uh, has now has a market cap of $78 billion. But the billionaire investor also said of Dogecoin, it would be very dangerous to be short. I'll tell you that much. I'm not participating on the long side he added. I think it's dangerous because once that enthusiasm dies, if it dies, you could have a long way down. But I don't want to discredit 
it's shocking that it happened. And did you find out where uh, Novogratz was at before? Was it Fortress or Citadel? Yeah, Fort- Fortress, yeah. Fort- okay. No, Fortress. Fortress, Fortress yeah. yeah. I knew it was, yeah. I knew it was one but, of those. But what's, but what's interesting, though, with Dogecoin is that the kids are extremely excited about it. My uh, siblings that are about 10 years younger than me, they love Dogecoin, and they all have Dogecoin uh, that they bought and hold in, in their crypto wallets. So, uh, you know, Doge is funny. Like, he, he's, he was a meme, you know, back in the day. Uh, and he's totally turned in. And, and it was, you know, I remember in 2013, like early 2013, when we had the first Bitcoin meetup in, uh, in, in Winnipeg, uh, we actually were making fun of Dogecoin too because it was, uh, Dogecoin was kind of like, it was just made to make fun of Bitcoin uh, at the time. And it was pretty hilarious. Both me and Tim, I think you met the founder as well, Tim, right? Then. Uh, no, I've never, I've never met the founder. Oh, dude, never met him. Yeah, though he, he actually like he, he sold all those coins like way, way back. Like he would have been a billionaire right now, actually. And uh, yeah, no, he, uh, he just drives around in the, in a cute little car and uh, likes to. Party yeah, no, he has like a like a 2014 like Honda yeah. Civic or something. Like he doesn't yeah. even have <laughs> no uh, Lambo. No, it's uh, it's definitely very interesting uh, how that turned out. You know, like it's a, it's literally a joke coin uh, that turned into right now, uh, hilariously enough, uh, the fifth right now. But it was actually past. I just love that it beat Ripple uh, yesterday. Like yesterday. Yeah, it's very it's very it. close. Like it's within like you know it's yeah. I think it's within like yeah, a, a billion, billion dollars. Right? Yeah, no, extreme yeah. extremely well, close right cool. now. Yeah, what's cool about it though, I. My holdings are up like I think 300% almost uh, right now. I have a tiny little bit of Doge, of course, because uh, I, I like to spread out my alts, and uh, you never know which one is going to take off. Uh, Litecoin was doing awesome yesterday, by the way. Uh, my Litecoins were up, uh, I think, like almost 50%. And then the Bitcoin. Holy crap. Was Litecoin's like, almost 350. Yeah. Jeez, 348 yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's really. I have a friend of mine that probably like uh, almost like since I met him and, and we're working on a blockchain project together, uh, we are like his holdings are probably up like to uh, like 400, 500%, I would say, uh, since that time that we uh, talked together and started this whole thing. So he he's getting a bit wealthy right now, like he has a little bit of money uh, in his Litecoin, which is, which is fantastic. I think Litecoin could definitely go up to a hundred thousand you know the uh, it just beat the all-time high by the way like a hundred thousand no 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 uh, a thousand oh i thought you said a hundred thousand i'm like i mean uh, no, a thousand a thousand still easy. aggressive but a hundred thousand like come on john what are, you, what are you smoking over there in canada i know like, i know they got government weed so it can't be that good so i did hear a story where canada that. actually lost money selling crazy. weed so so the government somehow even lost money selling weed so of i don't know course if they did they're stupid like they're 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 literally like trying to sell weed for like double the price of like the black market or the free market uh let's call it what it is Uh, similar in the u.s i've been hearing too here you go yeah here's the article here's the article from september 13 2019 from cbc.ca so that's like the official canadian website uh the ontario government lost 42 million dollars selling cannabis in the last year so you know lose it, leave it to the government that they can't even fucking sell drugs without even somehow losing money <laughs> so i mean you think that that one like at least should be like you know like a slam dunk like okay like we've messed a lot of other things up but you know at least uh, you know there's no way we can lose 
uh, you know, selling drugs. And, and one thing, uh, speaking of alts, that there was actually more volume. This is a historical reversal here. For the first time ever, Ether options trading volume surpassed Bitcoin. So there was Bitcoin options of $879.5 million on Monday. Ethers was 1.32 billion, which is 50% more. And, you know, and some people think that, uh, and this is from uh, Deribit. And again, if you don't know what you're doing with the option, I mean, I would not touch, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum options with a 10 foot pole unless you are doing it for like some sort of legitimate hedging reasons. And, you know, and there was a guy who, uh, you know, I was working with where he, you know, had wanted to buy some, you know, gigantic multi-million dollar home. Uh, so this was like, let's say December, and then he was going to close in the home in February. And so instead of just selling everything in December, he bought some put options on Bitcoin. And then Bic we all know what happened to Bitcoin that, you know, went up dramatically. And so effectively, when he closed in his house in February, he had to sell like half as much Bitcoin. And this is like a multi-million dollar home. So we're talking like it would have been like lots of, of Bitcoin. Uh, and so by engaging in the put option, it basically protected him from, you know, if the price went from, you know, 18 down to, you know, five, he wouldn't have to, you know, be completely screwed but then and it went the other way uh and what i'm sure you know a lot of people are using it to speculate and most people are not using it for like prudent reasons of like actually hedging or doing like actual stuff so yeah. uh yeah so most people will you know probably end up getting you know, you know burned on that but uh who knows i just wanted to you know point what? it out yeah back to my point you know you said uh what did you think that i said a hundred thousand uh litecoin like yeah. well maybe someday it will but i mean there's no well, ceiling here, here. Here's why, why, how we'll get there. It'll get to uh, the central, ba like Fed's balance sheet, which was at the time 7.1 trillion. Well, I know how it'll get there. First, it'll get to 1,000, then it'll get to 2,000, then it'll get to 99,000, then someday it'll get to 100,000. So, sorry. <laughs> well, if it, if it does beat uh, Bitcoin's, no, uh, silver's market cap, which is around like six to 800 uh, billion, it will be at $9,000, right? Uh, if, it, if it goes up and uh, ends up at seven trillion be a hundred eight thousand dollars but i mean there are so, a lot of other like competing but i mean there are a lot of other competing currencies doing similar things when it comes to that market so i mean maybe like when it comes to like the actual like peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash market maybe uh you know because you know you've got things like bitcoin cash which you know is, does a very similar thing to to litecoin you've got uh, you know, something like Monero, that's obviously, you know, similar, but private, you know, Zcash, similar, but private. And so I think the private ones, eventually, when they roll out these, you know, digital dollar projects and central bank currencies around the world that, you know, I think at that point, they'll probably make uh, different private currencies illegal. And then those private currencies, and, you know, Ernie, one, some one of his guests said something that was, uh, you know, very poignant, where, you know, they're talking about gun confiscation, and so now I've heard Ernie say this, you know, a few times from, you know, Freedom's Phoenix, uh, declare your independence with Ernest Hancock, where he goes, you know, the reason that they want to, you know, take your guns is because they're going to do something that you'd want to shoot them over. And so, you know, why, why, why else would they want to take your guns? You know, you know, if, you, if they weren't planning on trying to, you know, pull something. And this is really one of the biggest things that, you know, John and I have been warning about before we even knew each other. You know, I was warning about and, and I unfortunately outsmarted myself and didn't get into Bitcoin when I first heard about it. Well, a because it was like super early like 2010 and like nobody like really knew about it and it was you know i had other stuff going on and was broke and you know recent college grad and you know the whole you know 2008 economic uh, depression that was going on and you know trying to be you know basically a financial salesman at you know at that time like 23 24 years old it was you know not a super easy gig and uh but i had thought 
that this could be like a mark of the beast type system. And so I didn't buy into Bitcoin because I'm like, well, what if this is like the mark of the beast? And what it sort of, and I was sort of right because the underlying technology can be used to either free you or enslave you. And so, uh, well, but even now- Bitcoin can be enslaving you if, if you get, get into the wrong hands, right? It's, or you're in the pay like, you're in, you get it through paypal get it through robin hood and well you know. if you if you have like uh, if if the node owners gets uh like if you get enough node owners for example in the lightning network that is you know uh state actors that wants to take over bitcoin you could do it that way you could uh get enough you just got to purchase an absorbent amount of processing power you could get but it's like uh, those uh, scenarios are very hard now because bitcoin has become so massive you know they say that uh, all these like it's china is mining so much bigger it's not the chinese government a lot of these chinese miners they use cloud mining facilities or they're even pools that people even have their miner at home and they join the pool to then get you know a greater hashing power to uh, be able to get faster Bitcoin and more Bitcoin out of the, the their mining capacity because they join a, a bigger pool and they get bigger hashing power. So they get more reward than they would if they ran it by themselves. Yeah, no, and, and that's interesting. Did you see that? Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this today, but uh, crypto tumbles after, and it's funny, you see crypto tumble and I'm like wondering what it tumbles down to. Oh, it's still like $57,000. Like, okay, well, why don't you put that article up when it's like 36000 But uh, But, you know, they need to get clicks. But apparently uh, Gary Gensler, the SEC chairman, said that Congress should consider regulating crypto exchanges. So again, trying to put themselves in the middle of this, and that's sort of, you know, a little bit along the same lines of what you're just uh, you know, talking about. And then I saw another article entitled Digital Pretenders to the Dollar's Throne. And, you know, basically it's saying, uh, you know, there's two candidates we've recently met, we've mentioned lately. One we think is plainly ridiculous. And the ridiculous suggestion is Bitcoin, which City held in March as optimally positioned to supersede the dollar owing to its global reach, traceability, and potential for quick payments. And this is drivel. Bitcoin is way too volatile to perform one of the chief functions of reserve currencies to be a stable store of value. A, a byproduct of the volatility is witnessed in the fact that while we know quite a few Bitcoin owners, we've yet to encounter anyone who has used it to pay for anything. It's an asset, not base money. One of the reasons for that being high transaction costs. Hey, can I actually like? I would have rebut that. That's a stupid statement. That are you on a la are you are you on a laptop right now that you purchased with crypto? Potentially, what? don't no. saying uh, that. Oh, the computer, computer. Yeah, it's saying yeah. that no one. No, it's saying no. that no one has ever purchased anything with Bitcoin, basically. Oh uh, yeah, which is that one is very stupid because I I purchased I I ordered stuff online. I bought gold and silver. I. I've shopped with it. I know people places. that that have hundred thousand dollars. I know people yeah. that have hundred thousand dollar sweatshirts when Bitcoin was worth nothing, and they you know paid for sweatshirts in Bitcoin, and now they've got like a hundred fifty thousand dollar sweatshirt you know hanging in their but, closet, and don't put it through the dryer because yeah, you don't want to shrink that after you paid hundred fifty <laughs> Gs for it. Or like it's like it's almost like anytime and every time like ever I've spent Bitcoin on something, I've almost regretted it because I haven't like replaced it. It's usually like I've donated it or gifted it, but it's. Uh, you know, it's like, I've got, you know, Oh, here's instead of paying 200 bucks, I'll pay, I paid somebody like an Ethereum yeah. last year. And now I'm like, damn it. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but back to the big point here, he says that it's not stable. It's the most stable currency, uh, that I ever seen in world history. There's never been one like it that is as stable as Bitcoin. 
what the problem is we're measuring it in fiat garbage. Uh, so that's the problem where you're seeing the price goes up and down, you know, like it's a small market for people that are getting in, but you got to remember this. Well, one Bitcoin is well, one Bitcoin is always going to be worth one Bitcoin. You know, yeah, so yeah. It just depends what yeah you... it's very stable. And like $1 is not worth a dollar a year or two next, you know, like it's 98 cents or 96 cents. Right. So like that, it's stable. And, and hilariously enough, they have these stable coins, right? Like stable coin, like are you joking me? Like it's the total opposite of what it is. It's stable to the dollar, but it's not stable in in storing any value. That's for sure. Sorry, it's just a rat. yeah. No, and then the and then the article goes on like like yeah, it goes on to say like, oh well, the second more sensible but still unlikely candidate is the digital remnant B, the People's Bank of China's attempt uh, to challenge Alipay's and WeChat's domination of the country's electronic payments. And uh, eventually, just to tease you guys, we are going to be getting to the actual white paper of di- the Digital Dollar Foundation. Uh, we've got a few more articles yeah. we want to cover uh, ahead of time, but let's let me uh, proceed. And then I think John had sent this one over. Uh, Bitcoin is coming to hundreds of U.S. banks this year, says crypto custody firm M- NYDIG. And basically, you know, the banks are asking for Bitcoin because they're seeing their customers sending a bunch of money to Coinbase. You know, that's so let's, let's be honest. That's what's going on. At least that's what my bank has been seeing, you know, for, you know, several years now. And it's, you know, hundreds of banks are enrolled in this program. And so they're of course, crying in their vault. They're crying in their vault. I just heard a story about Cash App, too, that like, I think it was like 78, 75% of like their quarter one revenue was from Bitcoin sales and nothing else. So like their Bitcoin sales on Cash App like carried the platform for the quarter. Well, same thing with like Tesla. If it, if it wasn't for Tesla's, uh, you know, carbon credits and, and selling, you know, 10% of their Bitcoin, you know, that's where most of, most of their income came from, from selling Bitcoin. I mean, matter of fact, they made, they made more money selling Bitcoin than they've ever made selling cars. I heard they, they actually yeah. like, like scraped out that quarter because they sold that. Like if they wouldn't have sold that $250 million worth of Bitcoin, Tesla would have posted a shit fucking quarter, like the worst one ever. And so people were yeah, great speculating that that's why they did it to kind of save their own ass. Yeah. And Elon made this had this story that uh, it was to prove liquidity to the shareholders it, to other corporations that see, look, you can sell two hundred fifty million dollars worth of Bitcoin and the market will absorb it. It won't you you won't uh, incur a bunch of slippage by doing that. It was the the story that he gave, but it was just so convenient that it was saved him from posting a bad quarter also. And then meanwhile, you get guys like, who's the top financial advisor everybody listening? Oh, like Dave Ramsey, like one of the top podcasters in the world. Uh, and people, you know, I remember one episode where somebody called in like, oh, hi, Dave. You know, I bought, you know, I'm 26 years old. I've got blah, 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 blah. And I put $1,000 into Bitcoin. And now I've got, you know, $847,000. What should I do? And and like him and this other co-host, like look at each other and they're like, I'll sell it all immediately. And they're like, this is, you know, this is probably when Bitcoin's like 30,000. And they're like, they're like, if you yeah. can even sell it, like you should go check right now to see if you, if you can even sell yeah. that. I'm like, why the fuck is this guy the most popular financial advisor in the world when he doesn't even know you can fucking sell Bitcoin? Yeah. You go on Coinbase and you can go sell it. You're a financial advisor. And you don't even know how to sell fucking Bitcoin. Like you just go like literally you can just, the funny thing is I've actually never sold yeah. Bitcoin, but I know how to sell Bitcoin if I wanted to, I sold but, you know, why would you want to go Bobbit. sell 
yeah, why would you want to go sell, you know, you know, the fastest horse in the race? Uh, and I did kind of make like another point too, kind of jumping around a little bit, but, you know, we did talk about the Mike Novogratz article where he's talking about, you know, some, you know, different excesses going on and, and yeah. And you see a lot of stupid stuff going on. You see people bidding like thousands of dollars for like digital NFT socks or all sorts of stupid stuff. And, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff that people are probably going to regret years from now, but it doesn't mean that the whole space is, is, you know, fraught with, you know, dumb shit, but you know, and then we see in no. actually, sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and another thing too, Tim is, uh, you know, they're saying that, you know, uh, crypto crashed, for example, for me, like my crypto holdings, because I have them, uh, I have very interesting portfolio that I hold. Uh, so I know that like on the upslope, like when Bitcoin and everything goes up, I make lots of money there. But when uh, Bitcoin goes down and crashes, alt goes up. So I, I say stable and make when the alt goes, goes up too. So it's it's interesting. I have that portfolio. So it's enough Bitcoin that like when Bitcoin goes up, you know, it actually, I win that way. And then when the alt comes, that's when the really fun part starts. Uh, that's when, you know, I... Uh, I, I make it more, but as Bitcoin drops, then, you know, like it's actually stay stable uh, most of the time. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting portfolio, by the way, that I uh, have seen, like when that happens, uh, I do like, uh, of course, when it crashed down here, like 20%, uh, that was just a normal, like, that's like nothing for Bitcoin, by the way, uh, for those that are new to it. Like there's been uh, many times that it dropped 80%. Uh, it's been uh, three times now. Uh, and, you know, it will happen again through the, the next cycle, but we're not there yet. Uh, we're, we're definitely like starting to hit the cycle where actually uh, now the big boys are coming in. Uh, and, you know, at the at the end of it, we're looking at like three, four, five hundred thousand. Who knows? Does it go as hot as one million in, in fiat terms? Uh, potentially. I, I'm not going to say no, actually, because uh, if it goes to one million, for example, like let's actually see like what to be done for it to go to a million well it needs to just hit like double the size of the uh, gold market at about 20 trillion dollars uh to actually hit a million dollar in, in market valuation for bitcoin in fiat terms but yeah it's uh, who knows like it's 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 not totally impossible uh if if we do get it because i was listening to the g30 group uh for those of you that don't know what it is it's kind of bilderberg of finance uh, and they just had a webinar. And, and for those of you who don't know who Bilderberg that, is, well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they had a meeting where they actually were talking about the danger of a lost decade and a lost generation because of their COVID measures that they put up. Uh, it's funny because you're talking about like it being so hot right now. And so like I'm, I'm immediately like I'm, I come to, uh, you know, think of, oops. That Hansel's so hot right now. My retirement. <laughs> You know, the fear and greed index right now is a 65. And so if you would have told somebody a year ago that we'd be sitting at $57,000 with a fear and greed of 65, I think it's a really good sign that it's, you know, sort of consolidating. At one point yesterday, it was 48, so which is, you know, neutral. And so for, you know, when we first hit in the 50s, it was at like 98, 99, like super high up there. But now the fact that we are, you know, sitting at this level and, and here we go, you know, over here that we, you know, we saw that we were, you know, in the, uh, let me go back to, you know, a year over here. Uh, yeah. You see that for like a while, like December or like 96, 98, 99. And then, and then it dropped way down and beginning of January at one point went down to like a 40 on January 22nd. 
Uh, and then, and that, that's just right around the time when I started buying some more for my clients is like right when it like a dipped big time and, and it was sort of a ballsy move, but, uh, but anyways, we did again, March 1st, it was a 38. I don't know. That's, I don't know what went on in March 1st, but anyways, you can see now, I mean, the fact that it's not in this like mania, uh, cause usually the best times to buy is when, you know, the index is, uh, you know, very low and people are fearful and, oh, it's dead. It's going nowhere. And then usually when it's like super high, like a 98, 99, which, but the thing is, it could be at 98.99 and then still, you know, trudge on and go up, you know, several hundred more. Well, look percent. at the stock market, right? Too like it's, it's they have them for the stock market as well, and I believe that that one's like through the roof. But I can I can go and try to find the uh, the stock market fear and greed index. I think the yeah, narrative. But, but again, like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think I think the narrative at the end of February turning into March was uh, futures contract expiration. Uh, that's what they were saying caused the dip then something about and actually it. the stock and actually the stock market's at a 51 right now which is you know exactly neutral which uh you know also probably shows some you know complacency of you know basically it's not too hot not too cold it's like the uh the uh little uh what, what is that the three little bears i think it's the porridge is like just right over here with you know perfect temperature everybody thinks it's fine everyone's complacent and i'm not sure if you guys saw this but uh i mean kind of like deviating a little bit here but china's gen z splurges on luxury as its debt to income ratio nears an insane two thousand percent and at the bottom of the article basically somewhere goes on to say uh the debt to income ratio of china's youth born china born in the 1990s had reached a staggering 18,050 percent uh and who knows i mean maybe it's not too much better in america if you know you got the uh you know some of the gen z earning nothing but have two hundred thousand dollars in debt and they you know can't even well, go to school to party uh you know so they don't at least well, don't even have the only good reason to go to school yeah yeah well talking about the stock markets tim i, I pulled up the global pe ratios for different stock markets and, and what is the usually high in stock market terms like does it depend on the stock exchange or or is it like an average i mean it depends if like it depends if you have a uh, you know a tech stock versus like an old yeah blue dog type company and uh you know more of a value type company and so you just think of a value company would have less a high flying tech stock would have more something like tesla at one point was like something insane like 1700 and i guess if they didn't sell their bitcoin and if they didn't you know get carbon credits maybe they wouldn't have had a profit and then it'd be infinity at one point the russell yeah. 2000 was uh they didn't even have one because the earnings on the russell was actually like negative at one point you know for much of last year and i think historically it's been like 16 to 22 ish kind of depending on what time frame you're looking at and uh depends if you're looking at trailing or then you got something else called the cape ratio the cyclically adjusted price to earnings that smooths things out over 10 years and that one's at like you know pretty much like 1999 levels of uh you know ridiculousness and most valuations are you know basically in like the top percentile of being uh, overvalued yeah there, there's a couple there's a couple of markets that are worse than the u.s and cape ratio it's actually new zealand new zealand and the u.s have the same 29.8 uh denmark is 36.2 uh 38.1 in ireland and then if you go to pe ratios ireland's stock exchange has 219.4 netherlands 46.1 43.7 in france 38.9 in uk Norway, 35.9, 35.6, India, 32.8 in New Zealand, Brazil is 32.3, 31.6 in uh, in Denmark, uh, and uh, yeah, and that's everybody over 30, and then the U.S. sits on 29.1, I don't know which, like, is that old stocks, or or, or if it's uh, like Dow, or, uh, or something like that, I'm not sure, and then Canada is right below the United States with 27.8. 
four in in average PE ratio. So it's it's pretty high. Like it, it isn't PE ratios like when you go and look the uh, the P, uh, the Dow, the average is somewhere around uh, fourteen or something. Like that's when it gets overvalued. I I don't remember Tim. Do you remember that? No, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was just checking out another story that just kind of came across uh, by, you know, my radar right right this second was and nothing to do with what we just talked about. But Maricopa County, which is where I'm at right now, defies subpoena and they won't release hardware for election audit over security risk. And so they're worried that the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office won't be safe enough. So uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm like literally just reading this right now. I should, let me go. Let me go to the screen. Uh, yeah, damn it. It's like not I'm trying to make sure it's like uh, it's like fitting right for the viewers on here. Justice Department just became weaponized against an audit approved by the state Senate. This is about to become a huge deal. The Dems realize that this will destroy political capital. Those of us with understanding of stats and math already know this election was a sham. I mean, all elections are a sham and pretty much not even legitimate, but uh, yeah, Arizona's top election official, Officer Katie Hobbs, on Wednesday alleged multiple points of concern regarding the forensic audit of the presidential 2020 presidential election. And again, I mean, I don't really even want to talk about politics because we all know it's all just one big fraud. But, you know, if they're going to go on and say that, you know, if, you know, that there's no, none, zip, not an election fraud anywhere in America, according to Biden, then what are they what are they what are they trying to hide? So. Uh, you know, if we have some democracy, anyways, I, I only went to zero hedge to actually go find another article uh, that I also only kind of glanced over right before we, I forgot to put it in the show notes, but we'll, we'll get it afterwards. But this is Jeffrey Gundelach, uh, kind of known as the bomb king, uh, warns America's unfunded liabilities are 163 trillion with a T, more than five times the national debt. And this guy is like one of the most, you know, respected people there is. And well, it's actually one guy that it's one of the only like respected guys that I actually respect too. Cause a lot of these respected guys are scumbags and I don't really trust what they say, but this is like one of the guys that I think actually does, you know, a really good job of this. And uh, you know, and, and I don't want, we want to go too much into this or well, a, because I didn't really read it all the way. And uh, you know, it shows the feds balance sheet just going absolutely insane, like hyperbolic, but, and, and also, you know, I did do a, uh, uh, Josh and I did a show on inflation a few days ago. So you guys can go and, you know, check that out because I don't really, this really isn't a show on inflation. We're talking about the digital dollar and uh, let's just do a couple more points over here before we get uh, into yeah, the, by, by the way, historical high on the S and P 500 was 122.39 in two, May, 2009, by the way, on P ratio. So basically like what's, what's yeah. happening there is like, as the earnings are dropping off a cliff and actually going negative, they like temporarily kind of spike up. So you're already basically in the oh shit moment, like by the time you're getting there. So yeah, they, never... went to, they went to 15 by June. Uh, was that like March, was that like March of 2009 or like April, 2009? I'm just guessing. Um, oh, the peak. February, 2009. Peak, peak was May, 2009. And then let's just go down August, right. 2009. It dropped to 81. And then if you go, just go down to January, which is, you know, just uh, actually let's go a little bit up here. Chart is a little bit tough to uh, get there because it's uh, quite uh, a lot of. So in November, it was down at 21.50. So just in a couple of months. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, before we get to the digital dollar project, let's uh, just do a couple more articles that you'd sent me. One in two people globally lost income due to the pandemic and that's just crazy that you've got you know one and two people globally lost their income 
throughout all this. But you know, one person, I guess, uh, maybe not losing well, their didn't income. Lose, lose. Like it's it's like losing a decent part of their or like they're like they're like they're like pulling out their like they're like yeah. pulling out their uh, you know their pockets. Like oh, where'd it go? I lost it. You know, like damn it. We need a central bank digital currency to go find it again. Uh, but then we you know one person that you know didn't lose their uh, you know. I guess money, but lost their marriage is now Bill and Melinda Gates. And we have Melinda Gates rents private Island to hide from the press during divorce announcement. And before I read this, I thought that it was probably some like, or didn't she buy the private Island to not get vaccinated? Has she become anti-vax? I mean, I'm not willing to go that far, but it's, it's uh, rented (laughs) Calavinji Island in Granada for only $132,000 a night. So uh, I'm sure they use, I'm sure they, you know, didn't use any carbon to get there. And I'm sure they didn't, uh, you know, oh, yeah. and I'm sure there's no global warming concerns about oh, renting an entire there. fucking she's island. There, you know, like she's, yeah, just uh, she's it under... conscious. Yeah. Well, I guess if they're still technically married, then, you know, then the base is just built draining Bill Gates, you know, money anyways. So, uh, but yeah, now might, might, as well go all in. might as well go all in. I have some good nights for 136,000 a night. You know, that's, uh, that's a good time. And apparently the family is very angry with Bill. Well, you know, join the fucking club with everybody else that's, you know, angry with Bill Gates. Or we call him Bill Hates. Uh, and I thought it was some like amicable thing, but you know, apparently, you know, they rented a whole the whole family's on an island except for Bill. And he's, you know, there's different, but it will be curious now because now we'll get to kind of peek underneath the hood and you know, see more details of different land that he owns and different, you know. Things yeah, that well, his... when, you, when you're a totalitarian piece of shit, it's hard to hang out with you, you know. Uh, and look at this. Easy to do. And look at this like compound. I mean, you guys can't see it right now, but the uh, the, the viewers can. This is a huge freaking. Well, it's an, they rented the whole island, but this is like massive. You know, I don't even know. Like probably like fifty thousand, hundred thousand square feet worth of buildings over here. Which again, I'm sure they're all on. I'm sure they're you know. Um, you know, their, you know, their carbon footprint's got to be like freaking insane, but yeah, they're going to go lecture everybody else, but now into the main kit and caboodle of the digital dollar project. And this is their white paper that came out in May, 2020. Uh, again, this is the digital dollar foundation and Accenture and uh, you know, and it kind of, you know, kind of goes through here. We have got a table of contents showing, you know, intro to it, uh, tokenization, uh, benefits of tokenization but john what do you want to uh, talk about what what pages do we go to when it comes to this uh, white paper what, what did you glean from the white paper well i i think the main pages here if we uh, uh go a little bit off here sorry i'm just uh just going through it here i think the the main pages to look at it's it's basically like the they're they're just uh discussing how to set it up again if you go to uh page 17 uh, that's probably the the first one. The other ones are basically discussing how and and how uh, how and what the uh, current system does. So they're what they call their wholesale payment system and then the retail payment system that currently exists. So on the retail side, there's check clearing system. Uh, then you got the automatic clearing house, the ACH as they call it, and then payments and credit card networks like Visa, and Mastercard. On the wholesale side, you got the Fedwire. You got clearinghouse for the interbank payments, the chips uh, system, and then you got the national settlement service, uh, the NSS, uh, as, as well, which is is basically uh, for uh, bigger corporations to settle to multi-bank trans, uh, multi-bank transactions, for example. Uh, so that's the old type of system. They're just kind of discussing that, but if you go down and they're starting to look at, you know, how they're gonna pr- uh, get into 
the digital dollar and they're looking at the tokenization so basically programmable money as we as our headline was in the in the last video uh, tim and john show that we did uh it was you know uh, weaponized programmable money <laughs> cb uh which we kind of like hinted on uh you know what uh, uh the uh, they could come up with and uh, they're talking about the benefits of tokenization uh, but they, they I love how they're talking about like privacy and it goes talking about privacy is like well options yeah. for addressing privacy considerations can be viewed on a theoretical basis oh so I'm glad to know our privacy is theoretical and not like a you know chief concern but you know on one end there could yeah. be a completely anonymous untraceable system oh there could be well yeah it already exists you know you got pirate yeah. chain zcash Monero uh, you know there's other ones that are like well, on their the, way to and if you go here like under their proposed account-based system because that's what they're really pushing here. Uh, they say, however, physical cash continues to be used because token-based mechanisms have benefits which, which uh, account-based mechanisms cannot compete, uh, including a degree of decentralization, privacy, resilience, and safety uh, that a bear-like uh, object uniquely provides. Uh, so yeah, they can't really uh, an account-based system can't uh, compete with Bitcoin, basically. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Yeah, I'm trying to find the the figure over here. Uh, okay, what, here it goes. Uh, I just yeah, and and also another thing here that they talk about when it comes to privacy, because they're talking about the hypothetical transaction limitations, because the current you know ten thousand dollars when you do inter inter. Uh, uh, what do you call uh, that's that's also within uh within the country right like ten thousand over ten thousand dollar transactions get flagged right Tim? yeah but uh, it's really it's really pretty much anything uh yeah. because then it's like oh if you do it nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine that's suspicious oh if you do one that's eight thousand and two thousand oh, that's suspicious if you do one that's five thousand yeah. and the next day five thousand that's suspicious yeah. if you do one that's five thousand a bunch of days in a row and that's suspicious if you do one that's you know six hundred dollars with a bunch of basically any freaking thing in is basically they want you to fill out a SAR uh, suspicious activity report. Right. Because I mean, I've gone through anti-money laundering training a bunch of times, as, yeah. you know, when I was a broker and now, you know, being underneath like, uh, you know, state registered and soon to be SEC registered. But, you know, one thing I do want to point out and that this, you know, and the average person probably wouldn't actually, uh, you know, pick up on this, but, you know, I see figure two, central banks, foreign exchange reserves, blah, 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 blah. And then it goes on to say the international use of the dollar has attracted considerable criticism. Some argue that the U.S. incurs undue benefits often associated with the notion of, in quotes, exorbitant privilege. Do you guys know who's the one that said that the U.S. dollar uh, being the world reserve currency is an exorbitant privilege, in quotes? Klaus motherfucking Schwab in the COVID-19, the Great Reset, I believe, I'm not, I don't even have, I believe it's on page 74 of his book says it's an exorbitant privilege that the U.S. So it doesn't name Klaus Schwab in here, but it basically is referencing Klaus fucking Schwab. Well, uh, well, in the this, like, it's just insane. Like, yeah. I, I just happened yeah. to glance over yeah. this 50-page article before we went on here, and I just happened to catch the part that says exorbitant privilege. Sorry, John. 
Well, and and you got to remember all the corporations that are in there. All there are Davosians, if you can call them that. You know, they they're all hanging out at Davos, right? Accenture CEOs and and so on. Tim, they're they're all hanging out there with hanging out there with uh, you know Klaus and uh, and the Burger Brenda, which is the the you know the second guy underneath in Norwegian scumbag. Uh, so they're all hanging out there up in Davos together with you know J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, and uh, and uh, Salmon, and all the boys are just uh, you know drinking scotch and uh, smoking cigars, hanging out you know up in the Alps, you know skiing down, uh, hanging out in the sauna together. All know, right, I just I gotta apologize. I did have some fake news. It was on page seventy-two of his book, not seventy-four. So I guess you know I'm not Tim. quite like not quite like Rain Man over here. Together. <laughs> Page 72, title uh, entitled The Fate of the U.S. Dollar, uh, subsection 1.2.3.2 in COVID-19, The Great Reset. For decades, the U.S. has enjoyed the exorbitant privilege, in quotes, of retaining the global currency reserve, a status that has long been a perk of imperial might and economic elixir. And, you know, basically, you know, saying that, you know, other countries are getting the raw end of the deal. And then here you have them basically giving like a, uh, you know, a dog whistle to Klaus Schwab. And it's just so crazy because like the average person would not pick up on that. And I just, and, and, and I don't even know if you even more, you guys picked up on that because it's just such no, like, I, like I unless did, you, uh, I did not because I, I have the book, but I haven't read it all in, in that great detail. Uh, so yeah, it's funny, but it's and scanning over it's this, you know, huge document. And I'm like, Holy crap. And like this fine print, that says that and I'm like, Oh my God. Like that's like, those are basically and and remind you that the first time that they started talking about this was at the World Economic Forum too. So, you know, so then this was made. Actually, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. This was made. Was this white paper May twenty twenty? So here we go. The white paper was, and we didn't talk about any of this stuff ahead of time. May twenty twenty. Yeah. Klaus Schwab's fucking book didn't come out to June twenty twenty. So how is it that they had the exact quote about exorbitant privilege when this book didn't come out to June 2020 and then the white paper came out May 2020, but then they first gave the speech at Davos. And so obviously maybe then Schwab or his people and his cronies were then getting together with, you know, the Accenture cronies or, you know, the whoever, I think this was like Giancarlo. Uh, yeah. That's just, I mean, so obviously, you know, when, you know, this book was probably something we already had, like most of it probably written and then, oh, look at that. We got COVID-19 just happened to have happen and we just happened to have event to a, well, you know, let's not talk about this stuff because then we're going to get, you know, kicked off uh, uh, tube as we're calling it now, the, uh, in the World Health Organization tube or they tube. Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's they, them, those, uh, you know, just trying to go and rule everything. And so what we're going to try to leave you guys on, if I can get it is I gave a, uh, you know, maybe we'll just start this with, but anyways, you know, that's pretty much everything that I had to talk about today. Uh, I think this is one of the more important shows because, you know, we can't stress enough and, and I don't, you know, I was about to say, I apologize for a language, but you know, I don't apologize for a language because if you are not. Uh, you know, aware of all this stuff, then, you know, you should be the one apologizing because uh, it's everyone else's ignorance to this, which is allowing this to happen. And it's only having this information getting exposed to the public and yeah. putting light on it that could prevent it. And at this at this rate, it's already too late. It's basically, I mean, not to sound like a Debbie Downer, but guess what? They're already, you know, the wheels are in motion. The very first uh, $1,200 stimulus payment was supposed to be paid using a digital uh, dollar. That was a trial balloon. What? And Tim, they've been they've been talking about this since 2016. Was the big book that came out, The Curse of Cash by Kenny Rogoff, of course. 
Uh, and uh, he was talking about great detail. The reason why it, the number one great thing about central bank digital currencies is just taxonomy, as they call it, which is the tax economy. You know, like it sounds like it's uh, it's a normal part of an economy. Uh, and uh, it's it's getting taxes and then uh, stopping people from having privacy. That's the two number two reason uh, two reasons for its tax avoidance. It's number one. And then, uh, so it's nothing to do with making it digital. Yeah, it's all fun and games, but they all want more and more control. You know, I, I did a presentation at the uh, the the uh, Freedom Force International's uh, Congress. We actually had Jeff Burwickle speaking there with me, and and Stan Larimer, uh, Dan Larimer's uh, dad as well, was speaking there. Uh, but we were talking about digital currencies, and and I was warning about this. But like, uh, what time was I there? I think it was in twenty. Uh, either early 2019 or late 2018, I think I was uh, in Paso in California talking about this. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, when uh, uh, the presentation I had the Red Pill Expo in um, in 2019 at Mesquite, Nevada, when I drove up with Ernie there, uh, that one was all focused on what could come with a central bank digital currency. I didn't talk too much about the CBC, CBDC term, but what I warned about is the applications of implementing, you know, 5G and the Internet of Things into uh, these systems as sensor mechanisms to bring in all the big data uh, about you and using biometrics, you know, to be able to uh, then enslave you that way and they could actually shut off things based upon how much usage you have over you know you go into the smart cities and and their want of that with the United Nations agenda 2030 they talk about smart cities that's well, that was one of the things that yeah. Yeah, when, I, when I was researching all this one of the things that said as like a you know a good use case for it was like oh imagine you're some poor African country and the water filtration and we're going to have 5g sensors in the water filtration and then we're knowing that we're going to run low on chlorine and then we can automatically use a CBDC to then order more chlorine and we can make it all more efficient and we can save lives of Africans. So it's always going to save lives of Africans. But however, breaking information. So I started just trying to search DuckDuckGo exorbitant privilege to see because Klaus Schwab actually uses the term in quotes, meaning that it was referring to something else. And then this other uh, you know, white paper using it in quotes. And so I'm like, well, what is it? So I put it in quotes. And the term exorbitant privilege is actually in the Wikipedia. Exorbitant privilege refer in privilege exorbitant in French refers to the benefits the United States has due to its own currency, i.e. the US dollar being the international reserve currency. Uh, for example, the U.S. would not face a balance of payment crisis because their imports are purchased in their own currency. Exorbitant privilege is a concept uh, cannot refer to currencies that have a regional reserve currency role, only global reserve currencies. And then basically it goes on to say that in uh, opposition in France, so in the Bretton Woods system put in place in 1944, U.S. dollars were convertible to gold. In France, it was called America's exorbitant privilege. This was 1944 as it resulted. And so, you know, we're all learning something new today. I This is like literally right now just learning this. And then I got more too. So hold on to the seat of your pants. As it resulted in an asymmetrical financial system where foreigners see themselves supporting American living standards and subsidizing American multinationals as American economist Barry Eichergren summarized, it costs only a few cents for the Bureau of Engraving and Printing to produce a $100 bill, but other countries had the pony of $100 of actual goods in order to obtain one. 1965, President Charles de Gaulle announced his intention to exchange its U.S. dollar 
for gold at the official exchange rate. He sent the French Navy across the Atlantic to pick up the French reserve of gold and was followed by several countries. As a result in considerably reducing U.S. gold stock and U.S. economic influence, it led to President Richard Nixon to end unilaterally the convertibility of the dollar to gold on August 15, 1971, the Nixon shock. This was meant to be a temporary measure, but, you know, like all, you know, any, you know, government program is always temporary then ends up being permanent but the dollar became permanently a floating fiat currency and in october 1976 the u.s government officially changed the definition of the dollar uh, references to gold were removed from its statutes and the first thing that i saw as i was just searching this out while john was talking was that there's a book called exorbitant privilege the rise and fall of the dollar and the future of the international monetary system uh written september 1st 2012 by that same barry Green. So we should probably look up who Barry Green is and what his role in all this different stuff is. Let me, let me I think it, isn't he a hedge fund guy or something? Like, uh, I'm looking up uh, another, another, another book, right other books he has in defense of public debt, globalizing capital, a history of the international monetary system, third edition, exorbitant privilege, the populist temptation, economic grievance, and political reaction in the modern era. The Princeton Economic History of the Western World, a 44 book series, uh, oh. Gold Standard and Theory and History. Uh, yeah, he's got a whole how global currencies work. Man, this guy's been world in the Great Depression. Man, this guy's been actually that was somebody else. Uh, yeah, this you, guy's been busy. Have, did you know that uh, Klaus Schwab was actually a steering member, a steering committee member at Bilber Group? I did, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Well, I'd like to, you know, what we haven't really talked about is the other guy, uh, Thierry Mallard. So I'd like to, I don't know if he's just like more like the author and, and like ghostwriter. Well, it's, it's, it's like the, uh, Tim, it's like the guy that is a part of the G30 group, you know, Stu P. McIntosh. Nobody's heard of him. He's like a guy in his 40s uh, and he's leading this group of all the biggest central bankers and, and the bankers and economists in the world. Uh, and he wrote the book, you know, Redesigning the Global Financial Infrastructure, the Return of State Authority. You know, like uh, he's he's like a no, really a nobody, but he's been groomed by these elites, you know, to be the new guy as he is because he's still young, like he's still in his mid forties, I I believe Stu P. McIntosh is, which is hilarious, you know, like uh, the, it's really getting groomed, you know, by these big elitists. Yeah, and this I mean, he, this guy has been this uh, Barry Eichergreen man. This guy's been busy. There's so many different books, and of course, you know, it's globalizing capital, exorbitant privilege, defend defending public debt, populist temptation, all sorts. Of, and there's some, uh, yeah, it's just craziness. And but anyways, actually, yeah, same with uh, Stu P. McIntosh too. He has like 20 public, 40, 30 publications almost. Like these guys are like under the radar. You know, like he's a part of the National Association for Business and Economics. You know, like uh, they come from uh, almost nowhere. Uh, they must have some serious connections to, you know, get out on top of the biggest organizations in the world. Uh, or Yeah, I guess you got to be, you know, pretty, pretty connected to, you know, be calling those types of shots. But anyways, do you want to give out, you know, where people can find you? Got the economictruth.org, timandjohnshow.com. Arthur Diamond Hands, any, anything you want to promote? I mean, we've got you uh, on the Discord, you know, very active there. You're also very active on the Cash Jaddies Discord as well. You know, that's one of my, you know, I just love listening to them because I just think it's hilarious. But, um, you know, anything else you want to promote or pimp? Um, no, that's just it. Just you can find me, yeah, creeping around the Discords, uh, Arthur Diamond <laughs> Hands everywhere. Uh, float, F-L-O-T-E dot A-P-P. -P. 
You can find me on there. That's probably probably the the most active social media I'm on. Uh, is that forward slash Arthur Diamond Hands or is it uh... Arthur Diamond Hands? All right, very cool. And then then John. Yeah, you can find everything about me uh, through economictruth.org, and uh, there you can find reports, all that fun stuff, uh, stuff that I tried to sell to you know make uh, make a good living for myself. Uh, cool. And also, uh, you could find my books on Amazon, or you could buy them uh, directly from me, and I could give you, you know, like a nice signature and write a little bit stuff to you there. So uh, on my web website, uh, it's Canada, the greatest economy in the world? Question mark. And the end of freedom, how our monetary system enslaves us. One last thing that just is breaking in our Discord group: Manitoba working on QR code technology that could be used to track vaccination status. Scumbags. You know, I was listening to I was listening to a uh, a doctor yesterday that one of my uh, hopefully a, a potential client, future client here, sent me, and it, it, she was and the doctor was kept mentioning like Manitoba and how a lot of the vaccinations. I don't want to make you know what we want to end this. We don't want to get into a big conversation. I don't want to, I don't get John too excited talking about Manitoba and and all the other stuff. But anyways, you guys can find me at thelibertyadvisor.com, obviously the libertyadvisorshow.com, timandjohnshow.com. And right now I'm actually only taking on clients $500,000 or more. If you have less than that, you can still reach out. And then once we get more capacity and other advisors and people helping out over here, we can help getting taken care of. But, you know, just a massive, massive influx over here. It's not that I'm you know, too good for anybody. It's just, you know, it, you know, it's a, a, a problem with growing and until we, you know, I'm also working on getting this other crypto investment company up as well. So that's taking some time. So I, I just have to devote myself to some uh, of the larger clients, but it's not because, but I love everybody. It's just, you know, I did give everybody the opportunity to talk to me for like 13 years. So, you know, I can't help it that people did wait until like the last second and now everybody wants to talk, but I mean, it's a good problem to have, you know, sort of like a 12, 13 year overnight success and definitely appreciate everyone out there. And, uh, and uh and i will say fuck you to the person that uh wanted to say that you know that they're oh we're so glad you're not on we are change anymore so oh yeah apparently i guess you know they you know love people that are mass tards and wanted to parade around all last year wearing a mask so you know i'm glad that you know apparently i'm the bad guy over there so to the person commenting and, and by the way by the way my litecoins are up uh, they just jumped to 371 they went up eight percent right still now. a far cry from a hundred thousand not quite a hundred thousand. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. You know, we'll get there. You know, just wait. <laughs> Every until, little bit. Uh, yeah. It, it, a journey of a thousand miles one starts one. with one, journey to, one cent. We'll get there. <laughs> journey to a hundred thousand just begins with one dollar. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. <laughs> you know, it's like all these different motivational yeah. uh, posters that I'm seeing right now as you're as you're saying that in my head. A gain right of a hundred hundred million percent will start with one percent. Huge. Zero point zero one percent. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I think this is a very important show. Please spread the word and peace out.